Welcome to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, the show designed to help make middle age your prime time of life by defying the notion that once you reach 40, 50, or even 60 years old, your crowning achievements are all behind you. Regardless of whether you're just approaching 40 or are firmly entrenched in your middle years, it's time to launch your very own personal journey toward a joyful and purpose-filled second half of life. Each week, host Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, will discuss the challenges common to middle age and help guide you to a brighter tomorrow. Now, here's Roy. Well, welcome and hello to this week's edition of Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. In today's first segment, we're going to speak primarily to you ladies, but you gentlemen stay tuned because we can't live without them. And also, a lot of what we'll discuss applies to us men as well. But let's begin this week's program with an incontrovertible truth. I can't say the word very well, but if you don't die prematurely through a tragic accident or a terminal disease, you are going to grow old. And the process of growing old presents you ladies with a number of challenges, not to mention it does us men also, but... These include alterations, some would say decline in physical appearance, end of childbearing years, potential loss of energy and ambition, emptiness when the kids grow and leave home, transitioning into retirement, and for an unfortunate few, a severe decline in mental capacity. Truth is, at middle age, you ladies have a choice to make. Are you going to fight growing older every step of the way, applying makeup, maybe even plastic surgery to hide the wrinkles while mourning the loss of energy, vitality, and youth and the sense of adventure that was yours in the younger years? Or will you choose to age joyfully, expressing gratitude for being alive, counting all your blessings at the very age you are today, and visualizing and planning for a bright tomorrow? And my guest today, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, is here to encourage you to look on the positive side of growing old. In fact, she has just released an outstanding new book on the subject titled Aging Joyfully, A Woman's Guide to Optimal Health, Relationships, and Fulfillment for Her 50s and Beyond. And many of you will recognize her name because Dr. Manley appeared earlier this year on April 29th program to promote her other new book, Joy from Fear, and, uh, wow, two books in the same year, that's very <laughs> impressive. And here's Dr. Carla Marie Manley's background. In addition to an author, Dr. Manley is a clinical psychologist practicing in Sonoma County, California. She has both a doctorate in psychology and a master's degree in counseling, and she's recognized authority on women's issues, psychological health and wellness, and fear-related, uh, fear-based disorders, such as trauma, anxiety, and depression, the big three. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Manley. It's great to have you back with us today. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's a joy. Well, a stated goal of your latest book, Aging Joyfully, is to guide female readers into a full appreciation of the freedom to be found in their later years of life. Now, one obvious freedom is released from bearing and raising children, not to mention sassy teens, but perhaps you can suggest a few of the other uh, freedoms that women express, uh, women experience, I should say, once they reach 50 years or older or thereabouts. 
Thank you. That's such a great point. And I really like to emphasize that in our, you know, late 40s and 50s, whether we are male or female, we have the opportunity, our younger years, you know, 20s, 30s, early 40s, often heavily invested in education, in setting up a career, in, you know, moving into that career and solidifying it. And doing what the boss tells you to do. And doing what the boss tells you to do. (laughs) Yes, yes. You know, working hard, paying those bills, worrying about the bills, you know, having the children, raising the children, doing the little league, doing the soccer and the ballet. And, oh, my goodness, in all of that, as rewarding and fulfilling as it can be, it's also draining, and yeah. we lose sight often of who we are as individuals, whether we're you know male or female. We often lose sight of our relationship if we have a significant other because we are hyper focused on these other areas, and so and we often lose sight of ourselves, putting someone else, our boss or whoever, in control of our lives. Absolutely, and we don't even know who we are. And then one day we wake up because ideally we have a little more free time because the children are are gone or grown, so they're you know less of a demand on our time. And then we start looking around and saying, "Who am I? I don't <laughs> even know who I am." What happened to all those years? Yes, <laughs> what happened? All, yes, I and, call it sleepwalking through life. A lot of us do that one. Exactly. And that sleepwalking, I love that you put it that way because indeed it's as if we do wake up in our, often it's our late 40s, early 50s, sometimes, you know, early 60s, and we wake wake up out of this slumber and we can either, and here's what I love to emphasize, we can either look at it as though we've been robbed and be angry about it and resentful and regretful, or we can kind of do an assessment of our life of where we've been and where we'd like to be with the focus on the future and then begin to create that life. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's different. But also, really, it's an opportunity. And that's what Aging Joyfully is all about. And it's actually a lovely read for men. My husband read it, and he said, oh, my God, I'm so glad I read this. I don't ever want to be a woman. (laughs) The title applies just for you women, but uh, we'll keep that in mind for us men, too, for the the subtitle. Well, let's talk about the other side of the coin, Aging for Every Woman comes with some challenges that can't be avoided. Can you please summarize a few of the most crucial challenges faced by you ladies as you transition from young to middle age and from middle age to senior? We're not quite there yet, hopefully. Well, I think a few of the, the most common challenges are the ones that surround the looks. So that that might yeah. is one that people primarily focus on. And here's what's interesting, Roy, is as I was doing the heavy research for this book, I knew that we you know start feeling, you know, seeing signs of aging in our early 40s and yeah. 30s, late 30s. I did not realize that the changes actually begin in our later to mid 20s. Yeah, we but, sort of hit the peak and- <laughs> yeah, I guess we hit that. 
Well, and that's one of one of the pieces that I'll talk about is is it really downhill? Yeah. But so actually, it's the, the these changes begin in levels of you know collagen and elastin, you know all of those beautiful things that keep our skin nice and plump and 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 youthful looking. So those changes begin in tw- in our in our tw- late twenties often, and then we start noticing them more in our thirties, and then our forties we really feel them, and then our fifties, and you know we have graying hair and wrinkles and skin is saggy where we don't want it to be saggy and and poochy where we don't want it to be poochy and so all of these things can really make women and men feel really down well what are some elements present in the aging process that encourage a woman to be joyful about growing older i mean certainly there are more important things than looks alone but uh, what even your looks what uh, what can we be joyful about in that category that's a really good point, and the way that I like to to look at this is the way we look at a rose. A rose is not just beautiful as it's budding; yeah. it is also exquisite as it begins to bud, as yeah. it you know opens more. And as it really opens and you see the incredible colors and shades and variations, mm-hmm. and indeed, even as it's sort of aging, right, you know, starting yeah. the leaves are starting to fall, yeah. which would be, you know, maybe perhaps our 80s, then the, even the, the darker crimson and the darker coloring is so beautiful. And so that's how I like to look at aging, is that we are beautiful at every stage, if we believe we're beautiful. In our 80s, our leaves start to fall, and in our 90s, we start to fall. (laughs) But I even have an answer for that one. What about rose hips, right? Rose hips are so beautiful. Yes, they don't have, you know, their, their, their after- the rose has flowered and um, been pollinated, but they're they're exquisitely beautiful in their own bare bare bone sort of way. So I even had an answer for that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. Well, according to the Amazon summary, your book focuses on making each day matter. Can you perhaps offer a few suggestions on how this can happen? I'm thinking, say, of a rainy Monday morning when you face a deadline at work to complete a tedious project. And you and your spouse have nothing planned for the evening except maybe watching boring TV. How the heck can you make that day matter? What I like to look at is the big picture. Yes, there are tedious tasks at work. You know, as a psychologist, there are days where, you know, I have tedious things to do, billing or this or that, right? But what I like to do is keep my eye on the big picture. Where in that day can I find the sweet spots? Is the sweet spot a breakfast with my husband? Is the sweet spot a 15-minute walk or, or, you know, hopefully longer after work with him? Is the sweet spot a telephone call with my son? So, yes, in every day, it might not be all perfect, right? But if we look for the sweet spots, they are there. It's just what do we choose to focus on? Does it make any sense when you wake up in the morning to think about that kind of thing, or is it too difficult to plan out your day like that, plan some sweet spots in? You know, Roy, that is such a good question, and, and this is such an important piece. I believe that the way we begin our day and the way we end our day are two of the most important 
time periods in our lives because I believe that the way we begin our day sets the pace and the tone for the day and the way we end our day, whether we're, you know, cuddling up next to a dog or in our sweetheart's arms or sleeping by ourselves peacefully or not peacefully, that that really affects how we sleep and then therefore, you know, the cycle of how we wake up. So as an example, when I wake up and I do this every day, even if I'm feeling a little under the weather, I wake up, I give my gratitudes, I give my blessings, I stretch, I sing, you know, sing as I'm going down the hallway, go to the kitchen, always play Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World, start my day with that every morning. Your old gravel um, voice. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, but what a beautiful, yeah, beautiful song. energy, right? And I never tire of hearing it. And sometimes yeah. I'll, you know, play something that reminds me of my mom who's passed on or my dad or, you know, something special. But so in that, maybe I'm awake before my husband, well, he's, he sleeps much longer than I do. But depending upon how long I'm awake, I use that morning before he, he gets up, I use that morning as that space as a way to meditate and set the tone for my day. And now I'm busy the whole time. I'm not doing a seated meditation, but as I make tea or prepare, you know, whatever I'm doing, I really try to stay in a grateful space and a peaceful space. And I think that if we do that, whether we have five minutes free or a half hour free, and we really see that as a period to encourage joy and gratitude, and really get serene inside ourselves, it does make every difference in the day. Ahead. Well, your book covers uh, shifting relationships as women age. Can you please advise how to understand and adapt to the natural changes in relationship dynamics uh, as you mature? How, how does that, obviously, your, change, your relationship with your spouse changes and as you kids grow that change but what other what other relationships sort of change as you grow older that is again another great question one of the beauties of the book aging joyfully is that i give throughout the book what i called wisdom tips and there are wisdom tips some very short throughout the book and some that actually invite you to do an exercise that's clarifying for you and your situation. And so in the section on relationships, I not only help the reader take a look at their intimate relationship with their partner if they have one, but how to really look at that, enliven it, grow into it, or if it's a dead relationship and neither party's happy or willing to work on it, what you might need to do to move on with your life in a healthy way. I also look at changing relationships with children and friends because for many people who have worked very hard and built a community of friends at work, once they are ready to retire, and I hear this so much from women and men in my clinical practice, they lose their friends. Yeah, isn't that weird? Yes, their friends were at work, and they've gone on a path with their wife and her travel. And so all of a sudden somebody feels really alone or isolated and out of sorts. So, you know, I cover that as well. I also cover how important it is for people who are looking at an empty nest, already have an empty nest, facing an empty nest, how to deal with that and face that in healthy ways. And then for the parents who think they're done and then the kid returns home or they're dealing with grandkids, really specific tips and tools of how to, and what it really boils down to in situations like that, is knowing what your needs are. 
knowing what your boundaries are, and then safely and consistently keeping your boundaries firm so that you feel respected and loved. And yeah. that is generally how the health You're not system. taking advantage of that. Exactly. Because if you let yourself be taken advantage of and you let those boundaries down, you're really not doing the other party any favor because you'll be resentful and you won't really give your best if you're overly stressed out and doing too much. (laughs) Absolutely, and then you feel resentful. The other people in your life pick up on that. You're not happy, Um, and then if we don't have solid boundaries or they're you know not clear sometimes we'll say yes then you know same thing will happen and we'll say no to that so it gets very confusing for people so really a lot of of the focus on relationship is first turning inward who are you at this stage in your life what do you want out of your various relationships? And I walk readers through it so they don't have to do the heavy lifting. All they have to do is the self-reflection. And then once you're aware of what you want, again, just being really clear with your boundaries. You're not a bad person if you say no. <laughs> you're a good person because you're you're modeling healthy, clear boundaries. Well, what about a, 40-year-old, a 48-year-old lady who's been married to her 51-year-old husband say for 25 years in the past couple of years her husband has developed a roving eye and is noticeably attracted to women in their 20s and 30s and uh, that doesn't mean that he succeeds with them or the woman may suspect that he may be cheating but she has no solid evidence but most upsetting her husband uh, rarely if ever gets intimate even though they always used to have relationships uh, at least twice a week how can this lady joyfully look and respect her current age and appearance while she competes for her husband's attention with women 15 to 20 years younger. Her husband doesn't say much for him, obviously. But uh, <laughs> I love your example. A, how would you advise a client to deal with a situation like that? Um, you know, I believe that true love is always respectful, And yes, there are handsome young men out there and pretty young women out there. And when we really love someone, by definition, we are respectful. So for this beautiful 48-year-old woman, her husband is being disrespectful. Whether his eyes are roving or his hands are roving (laughs) or his eyes are roving, right? He is being incredibly disrespectful and so i would work with this woman on you know if she came to me you know individually differently than if of course the couple's in the room but for her to realize what are her boundaries what are her needs and if she if one of her needs is to have a respectful man in her life which hey you know more power to her that's an important need for men and women you know when i'm with my husband my eyes aren't roving to other men regardless of age it's just inappropriate Um, and so I would advise her to find out what her needs are if one of her solid needs is to be treated with integrity and respect then she can go to her husband and say very directly and kindly hey honey I'm feeling disrespected when your eyes are roving to other women and I I need you to seek therapy or get assistance so that you can stop doing this she's not telling her husband that uh, she's disturbed obviously he's not going to realize it and uh, maybe he will straighten out if if she just expresses herself. Absolutely. The first 
part is for her to realize that she's likely feeling disrespected. And as a result of that, she might feel sad, angry, irritated, but likely she's feeling disrespected. And then being able to speak to him in a kind, civil way and then know what she wants which is, hey, honey, I need you to look at this or I need you to go to therapy or, you know, whatever it is that she needs. And then here's where it gets even harder. If he refuses and continues to engage in inappropriate behavior, then the choice, she has two choices. And I just love the simplicity of these two choices. The first is to accept the relationship as it is, knowing she's married to a cad who is disrespectful and or she can choose to end the relationship and leave him to his own devices and the whole point is she's doing it based on her own initiative and uh, absolutely joyful that she's making the best decision for her and uh, obviously if she talks to him and uh, if he loves her and she loves him back they'll, they'll reach an accommodation he'll stop doing it. He may not even realize what he's doing. But uh. Absolutely, and it works. You know, I'm not you know, coming down on men. It's the same for women, right? A woman, a woman should be treating her husband with respect or her partner, whoever her partner is, yeah. right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. And most people, if I ask them, will say they want to be treated with respect. They want to be able to trust their partner. So if that's something that you want, then you ought to be giving it to your partner tenfold. Yeah. Well, let's talk briefly about <laughs> your brand new book, Aging Joyfully. Uh, one of the book's reviewers revealed you cover a vast array of vital topics with uh, clarity and ease. To give our listeners a, a feel for it, can you uh, please run down a few of the uh, topics? We've talked about some of them, but uh, maybe some that we've missed. That you cover in the book? Absolutely. One of the favorites seems to be that I ask the reader to write a letter of regret to the self. And people at first say, what? But I really like that exercise, and people end up loving it. It's like the highest rated exercise because it helps them look at what their regrets might be that are churning around and holding them down and making them feel depressed. And once we write out what our regrets are, we often realize, for example, somebody says, oh, I wish I had had children. But then this person has had a very full career traveling and working and meeting all these people, and then she might realize, oh, wait a second, if I had three children, I wouldn't have lived this life. But let's say I do you know, still have this yearning to be nurturing children. Well, now is the perfect opportunity. If that yearning is still there, it's not too late. Maybe you won't have a child of your own, but maybe you can foster a child. Maybe you want to work for a children's shelter. So that is one of the really beautiful um, pieces in the book. And then there are, you know, there's an entire um, chapter on medical issues, so I really dive into that chapter, and it's been um, looked at by medical professionals professionals to make sure I got all my, you know, dotted my I's and crossed my T's, and I did, so I was so happy about that, but, you know, it talks about everything from changing sexuality to incontinence to skin to, you know, making sure that you have your medical paperwork in order, all of that. So that's another really beautiful part. And then here's an example. I talked a little bit about um, 
the wisdom tips. And so I just opened the book to one of them. And here's just an excerpt from Wisdom Tip 26. And it says, concentrate on your current abilities. Focus on what you can do, not on what you can't do. For example, if the effects of lifelong marathon running have left you unable to run as you once did, strive to focus on what you can do, perhaps jogging, hiking, or taking daily walks. If you focus on the losses that come with aging, you may get stuck in a depressive mindset. That's that's a good point. You only look back on the past to uh, build upon it, not to mourn what you can no longer do. Absolutely. And so there are tips like that um, throughout the book, even, you know, and here I just opened to another section for people who have lost a spouse or, you know, a partner and choose to date again. I talk about how scary that is. And I give lots of, um, because I run women's support groups and work with both men and women, I hear from the inside out, right, what people's greatest fears are. So wisdom to Tip 63, take your time deciding when and if to date. You might initially feel that you never want to date or be in a romantic relationship again. You may ultimately change your mind, or you may elect to remain single. Although you might feel pressure from yourself, family, or friends to date again, remember that it is both okay and necessary to take your time. And don't listen to your friends or uh, other people who are telling you what to do with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, where's the best place for folks to go to uh, preview and purchase your book? Okay, so my website is www.drcarlamanley.com, and that's C A R L A M A N L Y.com, drcarlamanley.com. Right? Yes, just DR. Right. D-R-C-A-R-L-A-M-A-N-L-Y.com. So you can find me there. The, you can just type agingjoyfully.com, and it'll take you to me anyway. So maybe that's easier, agingjoyfully.com. <laughs> it'll take you to me. And um, the books are available at independent bookstores around the world, at um, online if you prefer online shopping, um, barnesandnoble.com and amazon.com. Yeah, yeah, I found it in all those places. But, uh, well, in conclusion, I'd like to uh, quote from one of the editorial reviews on Amazon that said, there are many ways to age if we are fortunate enough to do it at all, and no way comes without challenges that can't be avoided, but how we meet them and go beyond coping by experiencing joy and appreciation for the development and opportunities that aging can bring is optional, and but to be realistic to avoid a second half of life filled with fear and anxiety and uh, depression and uh, mourning and loss, why would anyone choose another option? And similar to my book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, Dr. Carla Manley's latest offering, Aging Joyfully, provides a roadmap for every woman, and for us men too, I guess, who wants to live today, tomorrow, and on the future with intention on into the future, I should say, with intention and joy. And I highly recommend you add it to your reading list. And thank you so much, Dr. Carla Manley, for returning. And best of success on sale of both of your new books and on your clinical psychology practice and all that you do. I don't know how you time, I have time to do it all, but uh, I'm impressed. <laughs> My parents, 
taught me a very strong work ethic. <laughs> Good for Have a great day and bye for now. And have a beautiful day. Thank you for your time. Well, thanks to my guest, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, for a most insightful guidance for joy, uh, aging joyfully. Makes a lot of sense to me. It certainly beats aging miserably, doesn't it? And for the remainder of today's program, I'm going to talk about a phenomenon that is becoming increasingly common among couples of middle age and older. And the phenomenon is staying together by living apart. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But it may make sense if you're unattached, maybe widowed or divorced, your kids are grown, and you and another unattached person are romantically committed to each other, but for whatever reason, you both like your present living arrangements and don't desire to move in together. Well, it may be, of course, a matter of distance. Maybe you live in Connecticut and you met and and, uh, fell in love with a person who lives in Florida, and both of you have career commitments or other commitments at your present locations, but also there are an increasing number of mature, romantically committed couples who live apart just across town. And before I go on, let me reveal that I'm taking much of what I'm about to discuss from an article by Claire Ansbury in the Life and Arts section of the July 29, 2019 Wall Street Journal. Ms. Ansbury cites a Montreal, Canada couple Sharon Hyman and David Demeter, who recently celebrated their 20th anniversary of not living together. Unattached in their 40s, they met through a dating service, were greatly attracted to each other, dated, and eventually talked about living together and getting married, but they did neither. According to the article, he's an introvert who likes to wake up early and cherishes his private space, and she's an extrovert who stays up late and likes to be with friends and family. And hey, years ago I dated a lady like that, and her routine socializing wore me out. I always wanted to go home from parties, and she wanted to stay. Well, Mr. Uh, Ms. Hyam and uh, Mr. Demeter live only 15 minutes apart, and he spends several nights a week at her apartment, but he still maintains his separate living space. The traditional presumption, of course, is that if you really love each other, you will live together. But many uh, couples in the second half of life, very much in love, are rewriting the terms of their relationships. Rather than marry or live together, they have separate homes and see each other several times a week, or perhaps especially in long-distance relationships, maybe only two or three weekends a month. They are highly committed to each other, but want their personal space and independence. And with the rise of gray divorce since 1990, a doubling of the divorce rate for those 50 and older, there's a large pool of single, middle-aged, and senior adults who want long-term relationships with a life partner. Does that include you? The secret, lots of them want to make the partnership work without entangling finances or relationships uh, or damaging their relationships with adult kids. It's a new frontier in partnered relationships, so states Susan Brown, 
a sociologist and co-director of the National Center for Family and Marriage Research at Bowling Green State University in Ohio. She found in a survey of 2,166 adults ages 50 to 66 that nearly one-third of those in unmarried relationships were committed but were living apartment uh, apart, an arrangement academics call living apart together. Moreover, unmarried partner adults aged 57 through 85 were twice as likely to have separate homes as to live together. Heck, for couples in their 80s, maybe it's separate senior living apartments. Well, according to Professor Jacqueline Benson at the University of Missouri in a 2017 study, she found that uh, the arrangement appeals to men and women for different reasons. We men want to protect our leisure time. You women want to protect your autonomy. Uh, but both step up to the plate when the other needs care. The couples are fulfilling a lot of function of family for one another, states Dr. Benson. And I think you and I would add life is so much richer when we have someone to share our experiences with, be they good or bad. And here's another couple Miss Ansbury cites in her article. Twice a month, David Scribner, 64, drives three hours from his home in St. Johnsbury, Vermont, to Montreal to spend a long weekend with his partner, Marilyn Bronstein, 71. And once a weekend, she drives south to Vermont. The fourth weekend each month, they spend on their own. They met at a bluegrass festival back in the mid-1990s. Both are divorced and now retired, but neither wants to move. She loves the city. He likes the quiet of the country. They are financially independent of each other and want to keep it that way. But here's their secret. Mr. Scribner says distance and compressed time together actually enhances their relationship. He says, I would rather be in a state of wishing I was there and being thrilled to be with her rather than living with each other all the time and turning into a gray, monotonous relationship. Of course, it doesn't have to be that way if you live together. I know that a lot of uh, us, to a lot of us, that comment sounds very strange, but different strokes for different folks, especially if your history includes one or more failed marriages, you may very well uh, see living apart but together as a way of making your current relationship last so long as your romantic partner feels the same. And also, you don't want to get the kids all uh, burned up because uh, you now have a new uh, marriage and perhaps uh, it impacts uh, your will. We certainly don't want to get into that kind of a uh, dispute. The downside, we can all agree with Miss Hansberry that there's likely to be tension. As one female partner expressed it, you know you're free, but you kind of aren't. I can't imagine how it would be without him. Having never lived in such a relationship, I don't know if the bonds of fidelity are as strong as if you're living with your wife or spouse or life partner. Each partner would need to have absolute trust of the other since they're apart all the time or a clear understanding that dating on the side while apart was okay. 
couples living apart also may wonder what would happen if one of the partners got sick and needed ongoing care with the other partner move in. This may be especially relevant for couples in their 70s or 80s, but maybe they can move into the same assisted living facility with separate rooms or apartments. The point is, if you love someone but want to live apart, you can cross that bridge if and when you come to it. Given your love and respect for your life partner, your heart will guide you what to do. I'm certain that that will be the case. So what was the point of this discussion of living apart together? Well, it's simply to communicate that in the modern era, romantic options that may have been frowned upon in the past are perfectly all right today, so long as no third party is harmed, and so long as both of you wholeheartedly agree, living apart together without entanglement may provide an ideal arrangement for a joyful second half. On the other hand, I know several mutually widowed partners who live together in the same house while they remain single and they maintain separate finances, and this works very well for them as well. The choice is up to the two of you. And that's our program for today. Don't forget my book, A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, by Roy C. Richards. You'll find it on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, or through our website, middleagerenewal.com. And join us again next week for Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age. Bye for now. You've been listening to Middle Age Can Be Your Best Age, hosted by Roy Richards, an expert on midlife renewal and author of both A Midlife Challenge, Wake Up, and Wake Up, Captain and Crew, Restart Your Engines. You can learn more about Roy and his Middle Age Renewal Training System by visiting his website, middleagerenewal.com. 